you know, this is all part of the experience. We're in a dying process already. So it really is not too, too much different in some respects. Loss of power, loss of control. Can't do things, can't move around. Can't make things happen, can't go out. Loss of faculties, ability to make things work. That's also, you know, challenging. But as you meditate, you kind of, you know, <laughs> you realize you know, we should be recognizing the ability to control things itself is really quite limited. We can move our bodies. But um, how much control you have over your environment, other people, situations, is not much. So then it's, uh, but as a reflection, it's always useful because it helps you to um, focus on, on the main thing, purification of citta. So don't be distracted by possessions, by projects, by ambitions. You can't have any projects when you're dying. That's the idea of being able to make things happen or go places, it has to stop. So then you recognize this is what's going to happen. So how much, how important is it that I have things to do, places to go, things I can manage, how important is it to keep having another set of sights and sounds? We've had plenty of them already. You know, many more do you want? <laughs> you know, they're limited. And then dealing with the loss of vitality and the diminution of the breathing, it's subtler. So as the breathing diminishes, then the vitality also diminishes and uh, sense of sense objects begin to disappear. So really it's a very huge encouragement to make a strong um, effort and strong cultivation of the world beyond sense objects. So essentially our motivations are where the mind is caught up with regret, doubt, guilt, resentment, passion. So, recollecting death helps one to look at these qualities and say this, this is really to be cleared away. Because uh, you know, that's what you're going to be, that's, what, that's what's going to be there when the rest of the world disappears. With your karma, um, it's a useful recollection. Mm. Could be quite peaceful. The same things fade out. And since it's inevitable, we shouldn't really treat it as some terrible thing we really never want to have happen. It's going to happen. So just making an enemy out of it is useless. So you, you prepare 
keep the balance right, living in a way that leaves good results, living results that are left in the heart. Try to avoid leaving, you know, having relationships with obstacles in them. So it's that you want to feel clear of that. This is how we practice. And the death process itself it seems that uh, your your awareness is still there, but um, as the sense input diminishes. The ability to um, think diminishes. The ability to think things through that diminishes. And sometimes it stops, or it stops altogether. And uh, the last sense faculty that is present is hearing, apparently. Hearing. So, uh, you know, if you, other people are dying or you're dying, it's always good to have. Um, Sounds that are conducive could be the people people talking or saying agreeable things or comforting things or chanting. You know, so that you've got something to rest on while the rest of the faculties dissolve. Then we have uh, when that goes, you only have the life force itself. It's the last quality, obviously. If you've been cultivating uh, practice in ways I've suggested, begin to sense this core vitality, life force, you know, which is behind everything. You know. So, behind the life force is behind is the quality behind all our actions and reactions. There's always this life force. When you're a little kid, it's really powerful and running around to you just crazy, so much juice. You're really strong. Can't hardly sit down. Run around like a child. child. Get to 70, you don't really want to get up. <laughs> just want to go sitting, lying. <laughs> so it, it, it's going, isn't it? And yet it's still the sense, so that the power of it changes, but still that becomes quite subtle. Now if you cultivate uh, through mindfulness of breathing, for example, the life force um, can be subtle, but it's still keep it pure, so it's not um, ragged or um, it's flowing pure. So it's like a pure flame, even though the flame gets Lower and lower, it still remains free from soot and sparks, just a steady flame. That's the benefit of calming meditation. You keep that, that life force is made pure and comfortable. So he, then, if one, this one passes, then this world begins to disappear. And you just sense that subtle life and force energy. Follow that, and it goes. Generally, what seems to occur is that um, you know, death is not a su- it's not suddenly alive dead. It's different stages where things close down. You know, 
So sense consciousness goes, then the life force changes, and then phenomena of um, uh, psychological or chitta starts to, you know, present its phenomena, its mem- its images, its memories, its perceptions starts to present these. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? You get that. This is the nature of a dream, for example, as a chitra is presenting its its images. You know? So the practice is we just don't get confused by those images and impressions. Try to stay with the life force and awareness. Otherwise we get the images that come up can be confusing or distracting. So you're learning to through that. And again, when you meditate pretty much, I'm pretty sure that there are all kinds of the jitta settles or opens up in a sense when you're not looking or seeing, then you get these images come up. Somebody mentioned one of these questions, they have images like movies, it's not really dreaming because they're not asleep. But um, yeah, this is this is what happens. Mm. It's the sort of like the, the bottom of the barrel, you know. You can imagine chitta's got all kinds of quite clear wishes and intentions and clear memories it throws up, and there's this other stuff which is much more um, irrational. Uh, it's just the, the kind of you know, the re- residues. So. Encouragement is to still cultivate that sense of detachment, disengagement, dispassion, non-reaction. It can be senses of fear uh, or wonder, of course. But fear can be there. Try to remain mindful. As a daily practice, it's said that one should cultivate this or practice mindfulness and recollection of death every day from the five subjects. So, this is something you should cultivate every day. It doesn't mean you have to spend hours, but you can at least spend 10 minutes or so. Uh, perhaps the last thing at night, considering, well, you know, maybe you'll die tonight. And uh, so, how's that? You know, do you have any regret? You know, do you have any unfinished business? You know, so, let go. So that the journey through death can be light, not encumbered, not weighed down. Not sorrowful, not desperate. Learn to let go and uh, recollect uh, the beautiful things. So you want to give yourself a good send off, you know. <laughs> so, it's, so it's encouraging you to recollect your good deeds, uh, uh, gratitude, uh, that which is inspiring people you've known so you really try to bring up things you feel grateful for and discard 
stuff that will just weigh you down. And then one can cultivate like that on a daily basis so that there's a dress rehearsal. So when the event comes in and you're already prepared and you know what to do. So the person asked about taking in the world through the five senses. When we do not see or hear any news, say the war in Gaza, does that mean it didn't happen? That things only happen in the head, not really out there. Really take in the world through the not through the five senses, but through the sixth sense, the mind. So, example, you know, if you have your eyes open, what do you see? You see what your mind is interested in. You see the floor, you see the reflections of the lights, you see the colour of the books, you see the people's clothes, you see, what do you see? How much of the world do you see? What your mind is interested in or attracted to or concerned with? So the mind is the generator of the world. And it has these... And so, they're not just visual, auditory and so forth, but as we know, we can see him um, thinking we can create a world, memories. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, you say that nothing's really happening, oh, the world is in your head, it's not really in your head, thinking's not in your head, it's in consciousness. And consciousness, the basis, the material basis of consciousness is is diverse. Yeah. It's not just a brain thing. Brain helps to organise, but there are other um, tissues that consciousness arises on. Yeah. So it's not purely created in your in your head. Mind is mind is in your head. Mind is in karma. In uh, it's in the immaterial realm. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, you know, we say that the God does, doesn't exist. Well, you know, if you're here, God is a memory or a thought, perception, impression. If you're in Gaza, you probably have different sets of impressions and so on. That's the way it always is. So it arises dependent on sense contact, uh, but highly moderated through what we give attention to and our emotional inclinations. So it's, it's codependent, dependent on uh, sense consciousness, mental consciousness, and the mental consciousness with all its um, different ways of uh, flavouring experience. Now you might say, does a dog know this Gaza? Dog has consciousness? 
probably got to know what you're talking about. <laughs> Does it mean it doesn't exist? No, it just means that for that being, that reality doesn't arise. Reality is dependently arisen. So if your dog is in Gaza, it probably just knows there's crashing and bombs and people running around. It's got no idea of Gaza, but it knows what sights and sounds and are about. Now say so you're an ant. What a consciousness an ant have? Probably got not a single idea about any of that. Does it mean an ant in Gaza doesn't experience the war in Gaza? Probably an, an ant in Gaza probably experiences, you know, various forms of disturbance. So the experience is dependent upon the kind of consciousness that's that's, that's um, evolved with that, isn't it? It doesn't mean there's nothing there. It just means we can't really exactly say we can say how things seem. We can say how things seem to us. We can't actually say anything actually is. as a final, true, objective reality. Yeah. So it's this room, if you put a snake in here, what would the snake, would the snake experience the room? Experience something, but I shouldn't think you think experience, don't think the snake will have the idea it's in the meditation hall. <laughs> if you bring like a one-year-old child in here, would the child have the sense of being in a meditation hall? Probably not. Does it mean it doesn't exist? No. It means it, it, it arises dependent upon the kind of consciousness that's involved. So then we can't even say, so because consciousness is variable yeah, from person to person and from creature to creature different kinds of it so we've got no way of saying what what reality is it's all dependent if we think of matter for example you know, you know matter are you sure there's such a thing as matter materiality we know contact Impressions, firmness, softness. Yeah. Do we know that's carbon or silicon or what? We just know firmness. Firmness is an experience. Right? Yeah. So if I put my hand on the floor, the floor is firm. I know it's, I call that material. I take my hand off the floor, it's now visual. So what's materiality? It all depends on the on the sense contact. And it's variable. Right? So this is what we mean by dependent arising. Rather than being a fixed world out there, which is fixed and true and real and solid, and a fixed entity in here which is witnessing it. 
a kind of, we might have that idea, but that doesn't hold up. The world out there is dependently risen on the awareness and the consciousness that's receiving it. The consciousness that's receiving it depends on a kind of life force and form that's generated it. sense. <laughs> I suppose it's sometimes shocking to realise you can't say anything fundamentally true about anything. Because <laughs> we like certainty. But to be honest about it, it's more realistic to recognise uncertainty. <laughs> then you don't get so fixated and, and blind. So this is what's called Nama Rupa, consciousness and Nama Rupa, mentioned the other day. Uh, so these three, it's the consciousness is that which presents, it presents sight, it presents, has the potential to present sights or sounds or thoughts. Many uh, of those are forms, different forms of appearances. But they're appearances that depend upon the consciousness that's, that's seen. You know? So, like, you know, some creatures don't see colour. Does colour exist or not? Well, colour exists if you've got a colour detecting system. So, an appearance like colour is very relative. And if you're someone like, you know, some creatures are. We're, we're quite good on sight, but our hearing is quite poor compared with many creatures, dogs, bats, for example, very refined sense of hearing. So they can navigate through a world of sound without seeing anything. To us, that's, that world does not exist. To us. So Rupa itself is a bit of an illusion. It's just we saw it appearance dependent upon the consciousness then we have the other uh, nama is the description such as that's red or blue or pretty and then again it's very uh, mixed Uh, and Particularly when we go down to things like tasty or sweet or pleasant. You know? What's that? It happens, but what, what reality is there in it? Uh, and yet, this process of, is pretty relative and, and uncertain is something that we we just try to steer our lives through. (laughs) The world of appearances and descriptions. So, yeah, the the Buddha is saying, don't put that aside. Concern yourself really with greed, hatred, delusion, attachment, and the opposite. Steer, Steer through that. That'd be more accurate for what you need to do. 
Kalyanamita, spiritual or admirable friend, admirable companion, spiritual companion. Kalyana, good, lovely, beautiful, uplifting. Mita, uh, associate, companion. How do we know that they are Kalyana? How do we know they are trustworthy, beautiful, and so forth? You have to, uh, don't jump to conclusions too quickly. So you have to be with this person for a while, see their responses, and their, their own conduct in themselves, and their conduct towards others. Then you, you see qualities that are admirable, then those qualities are guide. So it's not really a it's a person, but person's behaviour. You're looking at you're really beginning to get a sense of a person's chitta, which you can only know through seeing how they operate. And then the relationship. Kalyanamiti is someone who's actually admirable but also receptive. So he's able to listen to you, be receptive to you with a heart of goodwill and that means you've got to, you've got to test it, check it uh, to develop the trust so the person experiences tension, uneasy feelings constrictions in the chest throat, neck area and sometimes at shoulders sometimes it feels like the tension is releasing which feels peaceful sometimes the tension just keeps circling as if I'm fighting and analysing and not letting go perhaps I'm too preoccupied with it try to widen the attention to the whole body or breathe in and out slowly however the mind keeps going back to the tension area and gets frustrated well you, you have to practice with it I think you've got the right idea um, generally with tension you shouldn't it's not useful to go into it because tension has a lot of energy in it and attention has energy in it so what we give attention to energy goes there right? so if you just focus on your hand bring your attention into your hand your hand starts to glow becomes a bit more vibrant right? that's attention is not an abstract quality, it's a, it's a it's a quality of mind. Mind is energetic. Right? Mind is a, has energy in it. Right? You, you know, well you know clearly if you have aims and wishes, intention's got a lot of energy in it. You know, I want to do this for the energy run. Attention also has energy in it. So when we place attention on something, you know, a, you can feel what happens something starts to become more, more sharp, more strongly felt more strongly experienced yeah. that means the energy is rising and of course we use this in meditation so by withdrawing attention from uh, other, this diverse sense objects they begin to fade and then by withdrawing attention from thought, thought begins to fade. By placing attention on breathing, the breathing begins to 
amplify and, and glow. So you know that's kind of skill of skills of meditation. And if you have a lot of ten- energy, and ten- tension is 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 frozen energy, energy that can't release. So you don't want to put more energy into it. So strange though it may seem, the way to deal with tension is not to deal with it. <laughs> well, not to deal with it in that direct way, but um, and naturally it's, it's, it's painful. So you want to go there. It's like I, but rather like a, you know, an itch. You don't scratch it, even though you really want to scratch it. You just scratch it and make it worse. So you just got to kind of withdraw from that. And um, so then apply your attention to areas that are not tense. So the energy, apply your areas that's not tense. So your shoulders and neck are often tense because of so much energy there through the way we live. Where our posture is, we're generally very much a lot of energy in the head, sort of pushing forward, shoulders hunch over. So you see, you bring your attention down to your, your lower back, where often there's not much energy. Just keep strengthening there. And that will help, for example, that's one area. That will help to kind of, the body senses that, and feels the energy increasing a little bit in your lower back. And Less energy being placed into the tense area, it's possible that would that would begin to stimulate a sort of flow from the overactive area to a less active area. It's like water. Yeah. So often, this what you call this going round and round is because the energy is trying to get out, but it doesn't know how to get out. It's in this tight spin. And it doesn't, it's looking for a way out, it doesn't know how to get out. So you've got to indicate, hey, go down there. <laughs> <laughs> and even sort of spread, so you may start sort of just lightly focusing on the tensor and draw, keep drawing your attention down, down your back or down your face, or no, not, not down your face, down your back or down the front and out into the hands. So you just say, here, you can go here. Sweeping. And be aware also that your mental attitude will have its effect. If you're getting frustrated, that frustration is a sankara. Sankaras of energy. So again, if you're putting negative energy, you're putting negative energy into something that's already afflicted. So only makes it worse. So you've got to have a really sort of switch it round to more loving, welcoming attitude. So just remember this using this word sankara, activations, formations, these are energetic. So breathing it out is an energy. That's kaya sankara. Uh, emotions and, and mood swings and, and impulses are energetic. Thoughts, 
energetic. They bubble, surge, rush around. So they're all primarily energy forms. And they can be afflictive or beneficial. So we don't want to put an afflictive mental formation onto an afflicted physical formation. <laughs> if the physical formation is afflicted, you want to put a benevolent mental formation onto it, mental activation. It's calming, loving, inquiring. How is this? You know, as if you're listening to someone who's having a bad mood. How are you? Oh, tell me more. It's uh, sort of like that. That's you know. Then in a way, it's just that's what you do because that's what we do. Most things, really, the worse it gets, the more loving you have to get with it. Because otherwise, it's going to get even worse. So the person says they're eager to understand what imbalances are and to break through these imbalances quickly. There's jealousy and comparisons in the mind once they get over them. So I just feel the sensations in the background and continue to work with the breathing patiently. Well, patience is the key word. So you don't get over anything. You either release it or you store it up for another day. <laughs> so things have to be. So we have the, all these potentials. Uh, as I said jealousy, ill will. These are all potentials. All human beings have those potentials. Uh, they can just kind of arise uh, with no specific reason. It's going to come up, or are triggered by the actions of others, or by one's own considerations. You know, I don't get as good a deal as she gets, so it can be triggered in this way, and this energy rises up. You know. So, when we do experience these, it's just a really just suggesting you you put aside the topic that's annoying you. The trigger, and just to feel the general mood and uh, the voices of it, and there's really a sense of compassion. And uh, so there's an emotional cultivation, calming all the time in the world to be with a silly negative thought. And that has a calming effect. Slow it down. Often these mental sankharas, heart sankharas, they're elusive because they happen so quickly and it's partly the speed, the, the, the velocity. So it's, you know, if you want to be, so for example, you want to be jealous, try to do it in a leisurely way. <laughs> so, so you know, if you want to complain, try to complain in a really relaxed, leisurely, artistic way. 
and then the thing just starts to decompose because it depends upon as I've said it's not not just the thing itself but what's around it it's the, so the, you know, the formation uh, is it so it's a negative formation and then what we don't notice is there's a, a volitional quality mind is running fast um, perceptions attitudes clinging identification now if we can begin to replace that with wisdom you know, jealousy irritation let's be wise about this discern it witness it as it is this is a formation uh, with goodwill no, no aversion to it disgust but okay it's like that patience slow it down slow it down and that begins to change the environment which has a, that the environment that's occurring within and that has an effect it sort of takes takes away the the fuel for that form of course one can also consider wisely consider you know but often these emotions are not they're not wise consideration they're not, they're not really something you can deal with with your rationality they're irrational and sometimes we know this is stupid but it's still, we still keep doing it so the more direct way is to deal with emotional energy and work with that so that's how release occurs because release is release from grasping and grasping is kind of a kind of an action when it seizes hold of something and it seizes it because it, it experiences something uh, that attracts that so most passions anger, irritation, jealousy craving as it was a kind of bright quality that the mind grabs hold of fire fire it's attracted to the fire of ill will fire of anger fire of passion so that's, that's kind of a, like a a moth attracted to a candle, you know, it burns it. It's attracted to that, that fire. So we have to recognize the fire of ill will or jealousy or passion is actually not a permanent thing. It's a, it's a moment. If you can just you know, not follow the instinct to go into it, fire subdues it often takes time to work with these things but that's release from grasping releasing from the whole system that, that grasping is attracted towards uh, and fundamentally the attraction is um, like fire uh, the the uh, release of the chitta is sometimes referred to as the mind like fire unbound instead of burning things up it just becomes light 
how to influence or talk to people with different views about politics, etc. <laughs> well, if you were to talk about politics, it's almost impossible not to have a different view because politics is the science of division. It's the you know, means we're this, he's that. We're this, we belong to this, they belong to that. We support this, they support that. All politics sets up division. You know, them and us, or this party or that party. So it's always about division. So if you enter politics, it won't be long before you can find yourself having a different view. But anyway, whatever view you have, a uh, view is a view. And it doesn't mean that has to affect how you, the person. So we agree to differ. You have this view, I have that view. And it's only a view. We don't attach to it. And if you're a bit wiser, you recognize that all views, all views are, no view is to be trusted. Because all views are relative positions, they're impermanent, and attachment to them traps you, narrows your perspectives, uh, leads to suffering. So the Buddha particularly got a lot of teachings around the thicket of views, the tangle of views, the barb, the hook of views. And he said that the target is released from all views through understanding the, the hook, the danger, the trap, the net of views, through understanding it. Because it always sets up division and it becomes a basis for self. You know, I'm a Democrat, I'm a this, I'm a Red Party, Blue Party. Here we go. So one should hold one's views lightly. I have this view. I do have this view. And then somebody else, they got your view. Uh Probably both have got some relative degree of truth in it. But if we keep the, don't attach to it, then this discussion can be done in an amicable way. And we get a sense of harmony and mutual respect. Okay, that's enough for tonight. <laughs>